Thanks, that sounded a lot like Em's voice. <laughs> Multi-talented. Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here at St. John's, and I'm going to be looking at that passage that we just heard and saw illustrated so beautifully. If you want to follow it along, and I'd recommend you do, page 870 um, in the Bibles. There's some blue Bibles in the seats in front of you. Uh, John chapter 10, and it's verses 1 to 10. Uh, if I was to ask you the question... Where is the best coffee in Diamond Creek? I can guarantee you, looking around, that there would be different answers in this room to that question. And I know that for sure because on our church staff team, there is vehement disagreement on this very issue. Uh, when I say vehement disagreement, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Um, it's more serious banter, I think. Uh, but it is driven by genuine underlying convictions. Uh, on the one hand, on our staff team, we have the Piccolo Mechanico Party. And on the other hand, the Vines Party. Oh, there's a few woohoos. Um, You'll have to undertake your own research by asking various staff members which party they belong to uh, to find the answer. I'm not going to divulge that, but I've probably just lowered your opinion of half of the staff team in what I've just said there, one way or the other, depending on your own religious convictions regarding coffee. Um, in actual fact, if I get a coffee um, in Diamond Creek, most often it's across the road at the Windy Mile. It's got nothing to do with whether I like the coffee or not. It's just convenient as a place to have meetings and I'm trying to build relationships with the staff there. But anyway, we tend to have strong opinions on these sorts of matters, don't we? Uh, and while at the end of the day we might strongly assert you know, that our place of choice for coffee really is the best and we might think that other people are crazy and shake our heads at other people who think differently... Um, if we were really pushed, we'd probably have to say it's about personal preference. You know, some people like overheated, disgusting... I mean, um, people just have different tastes when it comes to coffee. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with people who think differently to us. Um, and we're very much a consumer society, aren't we? We're, we're used to having choices to be able to, you know, go here or go there to get exactly what we want. And we're used to being able to tailor things exactly to how we want them. Uh, I'll have a decaf three-quarter latte with almond milk, please, that sort of thing. Uh, coffee may be a trivial example, but we do often apply the same consumer preference principles to deeper parts of life as well. We're so used to being able to pick and choose uh, about you know, food and drink and clothing and those sorts of things, that we, we think, we start to think the same way about the deep issues of life. Uh, and we can do the same when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to matters of religion. Thinking that, oh, we can take a bit of this and a bit of that. Um, oh, I'm going to chuck that bit out because I don't really like it. Um, and really come up with our own pre-packaged, personally packaged, not pre-packaged, personally packaged religious worldview. And I guess the question we're looking at tonight is, does that work when it comes to spirituality? Does it work? Uh, we're continuing our series, as Sarah said, in these I am statements from John's Gospel. These are things that Jesus said. They all start, funnily enough, with the words I am. And then an image, uh, a picture, which he gives us, which is meant to tell us a little bit about who Jesus is, what he came to do. Uh, we're focusing on this at the moment because our church mission is to know 
Christ, to know Jesus and to make him known. We want to grow in our own relationship with Jesus. We want other people to know about Jesus. Uh, And particularly as we're going through a vision process at the moment, it's really important that we keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus is the main thing. Right? We want to listen to what Jesus has to say to us to make sure as a church we're centred on Jesus, knowing him ourselves, growing in our understanding of him, but also sharing him with other people. That's what we're on about. We want people to know Jesus, what he says, who he is, what he came to do. So in this series already, we've seen that Jesus has described himself as the bread of life. He's the one, he says, who nourishes us, who feeds us spiritually and fulfills that that yearning, that hunger we have within us for purpose, for meaning, for something deeper. Uh, Last week, Sam spoke to us about Jesus as the light of the world, the fact that Jesus is the very presence of God shining in the darkness of our world to lead us and to protect us. Uh, And today, the third statement, uh, I am the gate, which comes uh, in John 10. All through this series, we've said that the context in which Jesus is speaking here is very important. Uh, Sam told us last week that Jesus was having this debate with a group of people called the Pharisees, who were religious leaders at the time of Jesus, and he often had disputes uh, with these guys. They didn't like the fact that Jesus had said, I'm the light of the world, and they came back at Jesus saying, we want you to back up your claims. Who else is going to say um, that your testimony, what you're saying about yourself, is true? Um, And straight after that sort of debate has happened, what happens next, before we come to this uh, Bible passage, is that Jesus has healed a man who has been blind uh, from his birth. Trouble is, Jesus does it on the Sabbath day, the Jewish day of rest, um, and the Pharisees are angry at Jesus that he's done this. This is out of order. He's broken the rules by doing this. And not only do they get angry at Jesus, then they get angry at the poor guy who's been healed because he refuses to reject Jesus and say that Jesus is wrong. Um, And because the Pharisees get so angry with this guy, they throw him out, they kick him out of the synagogue, which was basically the Jewish equivalent of church. They excommunicate him. They say, you don't belong to God's people. So the context for this discussion that Jesus is having or this debate that Jesus is having in this passage with the Pharisees is the question, who belongs to God's people? The Pharisees are saying um, to this guy, if you follow Jesus, you don't belong to God's people. We're kicking you out. You are not a part of uh, the followers of God. And Jesus comes back at them and says, do you know what, you've got it completely wrong. Actually, unless you follow me, you don't belong to God's people. And Jesus does it by talking about sheep and shepherds and pens and gates and thieves and robbers. And I don't know, um, as you were listening to the Bible reading, whether you were a bit confused. Um, Actually, it helps to have it visually. But if you're a bit confused uh, by the reading... Uh, you're not alone. Uh, it is confusing. I'm confused. Um, I've, you know, when you're preparing a, a talk like this, you sort of read over it again, and the first few times of reading, I'm just like, I just don't get what Jesus is talking about. Is he, like, it seems like he's saying he's the shepherd, but then he's the gate, but when he was the shepherd, someone opened the gate for him, but then he's the gate. So is he the gate or is he the shepherd? 
maybe he's the gatekeeper. Surely he's not the thief and the robber, I don't think. Um, and who are the sheep? So he's mixing and matching, it seems, his images. And we're told in verse 6 of our passage that the Pharisees who he's talking to can't understand what he's trying to tell them. So if we're confused, that's okay. The people that Jesus is talking to is confused. I'm a bit confused, so we need to unpack it to see what Jesus is talking about. Yep, he does describe himself as the shepherd of the sheep. Um, And as this Bible passage goes on, we're going to pick up the next verse and what continues next week. We're going to look at that because one of the I am statements is I am the good shepherd, and Sam will be back next week to speak about that. But this week I just want to focus on what he says about being the gate. And the way to understand this better is to understand a little bit about how shepherding worked at the time that Jesus was speaking. Now, as you know, sheep are pretty dumb. They are stupid animals. They get lost, um, and they don't, they're not like pigeons, which have this homing instinct so that you know, if they go far away from home, they can somehow find their way back home. No, sheep get lost, and they get lost very easily. Uh, and they're vulnerable. They have no kind of superpowers to fight off enemies. Um, wolves and other predators take them down pretty easily. So sheep need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to lead them so they don't get lost. They need a shepherd to protect them so they don't get attacked and killed by stuff. Um, now, as Aussies, when we think about sheep and shepherding, uh, we usually have an image of sheepdogs chasing the sheep from behind, people on motorbikes, um, helicopters um, in the olden days on horses who would drive the sheep in a pack uh, ahead of them. But in the ancient world, it was a bit different. The flocks were smaller. It was a much more intimate relationship uh, between the shepherd and the sheep. Um, they would know their names, the names of the sheep and individually call to them, hey, Fluffy, um, Spotty, or whatever their names were for the sheep. Uh, and the sheep would recognise the voice of the shepherd and they would follow after him. He would lead the way and they would follow Uh, And in our Bible reading, that's sort of um, the language that we hear. Um, The shepherd calling out to the sheep, the the sheep recognising the voice and following him. Uh, At night time, to protect the sheep, uh, there were were pens um, to put them in. And there were two main types of uh, pens. If you were in the towns or the cities, there was kind of a communal lock-up, not like the local police station. Um, Like... Uh, In the centre of town, there'd be a structure with walls, a roof and a gate, and different shepherds would bring their flocks all together. They'd put all the sheep in the the pen, and there would be someone who would look after the gate, um, guard the gate at night time, so the shepherd could go home and and rest. Uh, And then in the morning, the shepherd would come back, the person on the gate would recognise the shepherd, yep, I know, that's that's Joe the shepherd, let him in. He would call out to his sheep, and they recognise his voice, so his sheep would come out, The sheep belonging to other shepherds wouldn't recognise his voice, so they would stay in there, and he'd take his sheep out um, and get them food in the pastures. There was another type of pen. Out in the countryside, if you're in a more remote area, there were these sorts of rough circles of stones, kind of built up, dry walls, um, which would just have a little space um, to get in and out. And at night time, the shepherd would... Uh, take the sheep so that they would go into the pen, and then he would lie down in the space. He'd lie down in the doorway so that the sheep would be kept in and the predators would be kept out. So in this type of sheep pen, 
The shepherd is the gate as well, right? Okay, he's the one blocking the entrance. So when Jesus is talking about, is he the shepherd, is he the gate, right, it's possible that the shepherd is the gate um, at the same time. He's the way in, he's the way out, he keeps the sheep in and he keeps um, other things that might attack the sheep out. And so as Jesus is speaking to people, they understand shepherding, right? They understand what's going on, they've seen it, um, they understand it. That's what Jesus is talking about. He is the shepherd, but he's also at the same time the gate. So twice in this passage, you can see it there in verse 7, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And then in verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. What's he talking about? What does he mean when he says it? What Jesus is saying is, I am the only way for people to be saved. If you want in to a relationship with God, if you want in to having your sins forgiven, if you want in to be part of God's people, included in God's family, then I am the way in. I am the gate. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, I am a gate. Right? He makes an exclusive statement. He uses the, I am the gate. He is saying he is the one way in. You've got to come through him. Not a choice of different gates. There's not different possibilities that you can choose from depending on your preference. He is saying, I am the gate. If you want to come in, if you want to be part of God's people, you need to come through me. Now, if that's not bad enough, arrogant enough, exclusive enough, he also says to people like the Pharisees that he's speaking to, anyone who says differently... Anyone who tries to give you a different way is a thief and a robber. They're trying to climb over the sides, they're trying to get in, and they will hurt and harm the sheep. Right? He's referring here, I think, to the fact that this blind man that he's just healed has been kicked out by the Pharisees. They have abused this guy. They've said to this guy, you don't belong because you're following Jesus. Right? And Jesus is saying, you are like thieves and robbers who are harming the sheep by the things that you're doing. He eyeballs them and he says, I am the way in. I am the gate. I'm the only way to come in. You need to recognise that salvation comes through me and only through me. And if you're saying differently, you're a thief and a robber and you've come to steal and to destroy. I'm the gate. You need to come through me. Everyone needs to come through me. It's pretty full on, isn't it? Sometimes people say about Jesus that he's this nice guy, he's a nice teacher, but when you listen to the sort of stuff that Jesus actually says, you just can't treat him in that way. You can't just say that he's just got some nice things to say or some wise things to say and you can take it or leave it. Either, on the one hand, Jesus is incredibly arrogant, intolerant, because he says things like he is the only way to salvation, or... He's speaking the truth and we really need to listen to what he's saying so that we don't miss out. Jesus doesn't really leave us any middle ground here. There's no nice Jesus option in the middle and it's troubling. So we were discussing earlier with coffee, we're, we're used to having sort of preferences for how we like things and we live in a very multicultural society. There are people from different nations, different ways of doing things here. 
Um, we live in what's called a pluralist society as well, where there are different um, views of the world and the way things work, different religious views, different sort of philosophies uh, as to how things work. Uh, and we can often think that religion is just about personal preference, personal choice. You know, I've got my own personal religion, you can have your own. Uh, you, you like Buddhism, that's great, that's, that's good for you. I, I like Christianity because it works for me and that's fine. This is partly a good response to sort of think this way because religions have been pretty violent and intolerant of each other in the past and often where there's been disagreements, people have ended up going to war with each other and fighting each other. Um, and so this is an attempt to avoid that, and we should avoid that. We absolutely, certainly don't want fights and arguments and bloodshed and violence because of different religious views. Uh, we've got to attur- uh, affirm love and tolerance of each other, even when we've got differing viewpoints. But that's not the same as saying, well, every view is equally valid, or that we've got to agree with them all. We can disagree with people and say, look, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to love you, I'm going to welcome you, and I'm going to be tolerant of your view, even if I think you're wrong. It's worth unpacking this a bit because these exclusive claims of Jesus are sticking points for people. Maybe it's a sticking point for you. You're here, you're still thinking about whether Jesus is someone that you want to follow with your life. Um, And this is a bit uncomfortable. You sort of think, well, Jesus is being very exclusive here. Is he being arrogant and intolerant? Can I handle that? Even if you are a follower of Jesus, sometimes you you might feel uncomfortable about this, uncomfortable because, you know, as you talk to your friends, it's difficult, or, or you're just not entirely happy that Jesus is so exclusive in the things that he says. When Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the entry point and the only entry point to God, Surely that can't be right. And we often dismiss it with a few alternatives. Here's here's some ways that people try and get around this exclusivity of Jesus. Firstly, sometimes people say, well, really, all of the major religions that are... I mean, not the wacky fringe ones, right? But all of the major religions are equally valid and basically, when you boil them all down, they teach the same thing. So some people will say that. I don't know whether you've heard that. Uh, People have said that to me. You know, all religions basically teach the same thing, so it doesn't matter which one you follow. The trouble is they they don't. Uh, When you actually look at them and look at the details of what they're saying, they're not all the same. Um, The only way you can do that is if you ignore the specifics of each religion and what they're saying, which is a bit like saying, well, an apple is exactly like an orange if you ignore the colour and the taste of the things. All right? So think about it in relation to what different religions say about Jesus. So um, if I was a Muslim, I would believe that Jesus lived and was a great prophet, um, but that Jesus never died. He didn't die on a cross, as other people say that he did. Uh, Jews, uh, if I was a Jew, I would say that, yep, Jesus lived and he died, but he didn't rise again. He certainly wasn't the Messiah, the the promised king that some people say he is. As a Christian, I believe that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he did rise again. So even just taking three of those religions, which are pretty similar to each other in many ways, the things that they believe about Jesus, they can't all be right. They could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. And that's before you get to the even bigger question of, is Jesus actually God or not? Like we sang in the song, I Believe, 
um, Christians affirm through their statements that Jesus was actually God, for Jews and Muslims, that is not only wrong, they would consider that blasphemous to say that this man was actually God in human flesh. So when you boil it down, you, you can't just sort of say they're all the same. There are differences, fundamental differences at the heart of different religions. But another way that people try and deal with it is they say, well, maybe it's like this, that each religion is partly true. Everyone, they've all got a bit of the truth um, and they really need to get together to find out what the total truth is. People used a story, uh, you might have heard this before, the story of the blind men and the elephant to illustrate this. So I've got a picture there. Uh, the way this story is told, it's told by a king who is watching these blind men um, trying to work out what this thing in front of them, which is an elephant, is. And one, one of the blind men feels the leg and says, oh, it's, it's a pillar. Um, one of them feels the side, which is very strong, and thinks, oh, it's, it's a wall. One of them grabs hold of the tail and says, oh, it's, it's a rope, uh, and so on. Uh, and people use this to sort of say, well, the world religions are like the blind men who are uh, feeling around in the dark. They're, they're trying to work out this, this big truth out there, and they've all got a bit of it, but they've got to get together to find out what the total truth is, and it's incredibly arrogant for any one religion to think that it has the entirety of the truth. Trouble is, the story itself backfires on the person telling it because it's told from the point of view of someone who's not blind. Uh, the king who's telling the story is able to see, he knows there's an elephant there, and it's only these poor religions, these blind men who can't grasp the whole truth. So it's actually just as arrogant to say this, that all of the religions have part of the truth but not all of the truth, because you in saying that are saying you know better than them all and can see the bigger picture. You've got sight where they're blind. So it brings us back again to Jesus and what he says about himself. You see, at the end of the day, um, it doesn't really matter what different religions say. What matters is is what Jesus says about himself right or not right? Jesus says, I'm the gate. If you want a relationship with God, you've got to come through me. And we can dismiss it. We can say Jesus is wrong. We can say Jesus is arrogant. He's deceived. Whatever. Or we can look more closely at his life, at his claims, and we can decide, you know what, I think he is actually speaking the truth. Remember that Underlying all of these I am statements of Jesus is the claim that Jesus is actually God himself. God who has come to earth, taken on human flesh, come as a human being to live amongst us. He's not just a religious leader offering some wise advice. He's claiming to be God in human flesh and he's holding out the offer of salvation to those who trust in him. In light of that, it makes sense, doesn't it? that he claims to be the gate, the only way in. He's not just one amongst many, one religious leader amongst many. If God himself has come to earth as a human being, that is not an everyday thing, that is a breaking into human history, and Jesus is saying, that's who I am, and I'm offering you the way. I'm the connection between God and people because I am I'm God himself. I'm a human being and I'm showing you the way of salvation. And if that's true, 
then the question for us is, do we walk through that gate or don't we? So what does Jesus the gate offer us? What comes if we make that decision to walk through the gate who is Jesus? Jesus says, whoever enters through this gate will be saved. But what does that mean? What does salvation look like? Jesus picks up two aspects of salvation in this passage. Firstly, there's the idea of protection. So uh, for the sheep coming through the gate and then the shepherd blocking the entrance, there's protection in the sheep pen. Jesus watches over us to keep us safe from harm. Uh, That doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us. It doesn't mean that life's going to be completely rosy and we'll never get sick or nothing bad will ever happen to you. No, he's not claiming that. But Jesus is saying, by bringing you into a relationship with God, I'm offering you security, eternal security, that nothing can separate you from God's love, that the life I'm offering will go on to eternity and it will never end, and not even death will be able to rip you away from this relationship with God. So when Jesus says in verse 9 of our passage, um, he talks about coming in the gate. That's the aspect he's talking about, the protection that he offers. But in that same verse, he also talks about going out through the gate. He'll take the sheep out to find pasture. So Jesus is not only talking about protection, that he saves us, that he rescues us, that he forgives our sins and protects us, but he's saying... I offer you more than that. That and more. I also offer you the fullness of life now. Abundance, plenty, good pasture. In fact, in verse 10 he goes on to say, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus isn't just about sort of rescuing us from bad stuff, but he's also about giving us the fullness of life that we can have here and now, bringing us into a relationship with the God who made us. So when Jesus claims... He is the only way, that he is the gate that you've got to come through. It's not just begrudgingly that we should go through that gate, but Jesus is saying, I am the gate and it's good. I'll protect you and I'll give you a full life. I'll give you fulfilment and purpose and bring you into a relationship with the very God who made you. So again, we've got to wrestle with the claims of Jesus. He claims that he is the gate, that he is the way to God. Is what he's saying true? If it is, we've got to walk through that gate. We've got to come through Jesus into relationship with God to receive the protection that he offers and to receive the abundance of life that he offers. So let me pray for us. Jesus, you say lots of things that we find hard to hear. Please help us not to just write you off because it sounds hard or difficult, but help us to really wrestle and keep wrestling with you and the claims that you make. Uh, And if true, help us to have the courage to walk through that gate, to come through you into a relationship with God. And we thank you that you promise us this protection and a full life if we do it. Amen.